Remember, remember that guy that had the bongos? We need to get him in on that. Remember that guy? <laughs> hey, it's been a really good week this week. I'll tell you, I had two people saved. Uh, uh, we talked about Shoney got saved this week, a young gal that uh, works with uh, uh, Kim and Sean, and then Marcus made sure his salvation and got saved this week. It's just been a really good week, and appreciate all that God is doing and people's lives. And uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, the impact that uh, uh, talking about the balance uh, in our lives and what how it's really made uh, a difference in so many of you. And uh, we have camped on Proverbs chapter 11, verse 1, and that's why we were joking about it. Today we would be uh, moving out of it. Uh, Faust balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And uh, we really focused on, talked about how that uh, in every aspect. Uh, and today, as I said, we're going to look at our last study on the balance of the Christian life. Uh, I we've tried to cover every one that I thought was a, in a major way uh, will affect our lives. And we have really went through them in, in, in great detail. I think honestly that and I saved it for last week on purpose. I think that last week was the key to all of it. Uh, not just the balance explained as we have been going through, but uh, the process to maintain the balance and not to lose it. I mean, it only makes common sense that um, it does no good to get a balance if you can't maintain it and can't keep it. And so I gave you basically out of the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, I gave you uh, the how-to. I gave you the basic threefold uh, balance in the relationship uh, with God that we always uh, want to make sure that we go through to keep it the balance right. And we talked about 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. It talked about that the first thing that we need to examine ourselves. We need to look inward to us and be honest with who we are and be honest with what the Word of God says to us. A lot of people, you know, they, uh, they come and they hear the Word of God and they get convicted about things. A lot of times they, don't, they misplace the conviction. They don't know really where it's coming from. Um, they think that it's this or it's that, but in reality it's just the Lord tugging on their heartstrings and uh, we all need to learn how to examine ourselves. And the second thing I talked about, Bible says in that passage, was to prove yourself. And of course we do this through the structure of the New Testament local church you know, uh, uh, an accountability factor, a responsibility factor. And then the last one I talked about was to know uh, yourself, knowing your limitations, knowing what you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, and knowing where you're, you're weak and you're vulnerable and all of those aspects. And this, these three form the beginning uh, of maintaining the balance in our relationship with the Lord. This is where it starts. If you take these three and you put them into your life on a regular basis and every aspect of things that you face, then uh, when you have these in, in place, when you, when you have an issue that comes into your life, then you know how to deal with it. And we saw uh, that when you put in effect uh, th- these three, then we see you have the next step or the next level to even fine-tune that balance even more. Because once you examine yourself and you prove yourself and you know yourself, and then you have an issue in your life that you want to get rid of, something you're struggling with, then I gave you the next threefold balance on the next level, and that is where you identify the problem. You, you really be honest with yourself of this is my problem. I have an issue. I have something here that, that I've got to deal with. 
Once you identify the problem, then you simply isolate the problem. So many times people have a problem, but they really don't want to work on it, so they'll fix all the other things that really don't need fixing, just so they don't have to deal with the one that really needs the fixing. And then the third thing was once you identify it, once you isolate it, then you annihilate it. Completely destroy it. Don't give it any quarter. Uh, Paul says that in my flesh is no good thing. You don't give it any chance whatsoever. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live by the faith, I live by the Son of God. You've got to follow that process. When you follow these three, this is the process that we've talked about for several weeks in Jeremiah chapter 1. This is where you have an issue in your life. You go in and you root it out. You pull it down. You destroy it. And you throw it down. Then I showed you also the consequences of not dealing with the issues that come up in our lives. How that, uh, you know, when, our, uh, when we refuse to deal with things in our life and sin in our life, uh, now sin begins to take root in our lives. And in time it becomes what we've talked about, a stronghold, something you can't break. And, you know, and we always think of strongholds because, you know, we always talk about it in the, in the worst scenario. We think of a stronghold as somebody being hooked on drugs and somebody being an alcoholic. And those things are really true. Those are certainly strongholds. But, you know, a stronghold can be as simple as something like pride. A stronghold can be something as simple as a lack of motivation, procrastination, carelessness, anger, bitterness, envy. Those two can become strongholds in our lives, and of course, you know, it all has the same negative effect. Then I showed you, remember last week, we went to Judges chapter 16, and I showed you through the life of Samson, gave you a graphic illustration of a stronghold in our lives that, that when we refuse to break it. And I showed you how Samson, and I brought you through the whole process and showed you how that Samson, you know, because he wouldn't do what he needed to do, how that sin blinded him, and it'll blind you. You can't see the things of God anymore. All you can see is what your stronghold is. It takes everything over in your life. We talked about how that not only his sin blinded him, but it also will bind you. And he was shackled to, the, to this world, the Philistines, and all that they went on to, completely took over control of his life. He, he had no more control of where he went and what he'd done. The Philistines saw to it that he was shackled to them forever. And that's what sin does. It binds you. And then the third thing I showed you through that great study is that sin grinds you. It completely destroyed his life. And it'll destroy your life. I don't know how many times somebody who probably in their young life had a potential of being great for God and do some incredible things for God, but because of sin and because of the things that they have gotten into, uh, they wound up being destroyed. And it's a terrible, terrible thing, but it happens all the time. And uh, So we talked about the threefold process of when a stronghold begins to come into your life. It'll completely destroy you. Now today I want to, in our final study, uh, and we have been studying for the last couple of weeks, relationships. And uh, I told you last week that the number one relationship that we have in our life is the relationship with the Lord. And I want to talk today about relationships with other people. So let's have a word of prayer this morning, and then we'll move on into it. It said, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for those that have come out today. We pray for those that are homesick and that are, Lord, that, uh, that you'll help them and bring them through and help them feel better. 
We just pray, Father, for the, those that are here today that the Word of God will go forth, that, Lord, you'll be real in somebody's life. There's probably people here today, Father, that are in their heart. They're saying, Lord, if you're really real, give me what I need. Show me who you are. Now, Lord, I, I can't do that. You're the only one that can do that. But you can do it through the preaching of the Word of God. And help us today, and we'll be careful to give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, last week I said, I told you that the number one relationship in our lives should be our relationship with the Lord. And I also told you every other relationship, every other association that we have needs to be run through that relationship. What happens most of the time is we build that relationship with the, uh, with the Lord and we have it, but it's not number one in our life. So when another relationship comes in, we just run that relationship or any association around the one we have with the Lord, not through it. I'll tell you something, there's a big difference in taking something and running it through the Lord than it is running it around the Lord. And that's exactly what so many people do today. And there's two reasons why you shouldn't do that. First of all, we know that outside associations, outside influences can damage the one we have with the Lord Jesus. We know that. Uh, we are who we associate with. And uh, we associate uh, with the wrong people. It's always going to be a detriment. I remember I told you an illustration here several weeks ago, or been really several months ago now, about how that when you deal with electricity, and uh, I was a, a I'm not going to call myself an electrician, but I, I helped guy who was an electrician at one time, and I learned a little bit about it that I, you know, would help him and do different things, but I'm far from being an electrician or presenting myself as one. But I did learn this. I realized that in any kind of electricity gadget you're going to fool around with, you're going to have a negative and you're going to have a positive. And those two have to be hooked up. You have a neutral, but those two are the main ones. And I was famous for uh, getting starting out. I, I did a lot of stupid things. And I, I remember one time I shut down a whole office complex on their computers just because I did something stupid. And, uh, you know, and I, I, had to, I had the bad, nasty habit. Boy, he used to really get on me. Uh, you know, I had a nasty habit when I'm working in a panel box with all those hot wires in there that I would be holding it and have a screwdriver, and then I'd put my screwdriver in his hand while I, with the metal part sticking out. While I would, all I had to do was just touch one of those wires and light up like a Christmas tree. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful with it. But I learned this. When you take and you take the positive wire and you take the negative wire and you put those together, you blow the lights out every time. The fuse goes out every time. Never one time in the history of my life or the history of electricity, did anybody ever put a negative and a positive together and a positive stayed on? The negative always prevails. Now, I'm telling you not to tell you this. When you have a positive in your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you bring a negative in, there'll never be a time that when you match the negative to the positive that the positive is going to win. The lights are always going to go out. You're always going to blow your spiritual fuses, and you're going to have some problems. The negative will always win when you take a positive and a negative and put them together. So keep the negatives out of your life by association and just stay with what's positive. I mean, it's so simple. Second reason is, is that when you build one outside your relationship with Christ, uh, 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 when you inside your relationship with Christ, when you do it right, then the principles help keep you and guide you through everything in that fundamental balance that it stays where it needs to be. So it's very important. Now, I want to I focus in particular today 
uh, in his last lesson, and I told you this was coming, but I saved it for the last because I wanted to get everything out of the way. I want to talk to you today about finding a partner in life, a husband or a wife. You know, all you have to do is look around here, and you can see that we're a very young church. Uh, we have older couples, and they are invaluable in the ministry that we have here, but uh, God in most churches is just the opposite. Most churches have the majority of people are over 60 and 70, and, um, and uh, they have very few young people or young couples, but in our church, it's just the, just the opposite. And there was a design in building that. That didn't happen by accident. You got to know what you want to target, and you know how to know how to get there. And so it didn't happen by accident. It just wasn't, whoopsie-daisy, how did this happen? I know how it happened because I understand the process that when you go after something, you got to be able to know what you're doing to go after it. So, but that's our state today, and that's a healthy church. Uh, that ensures that uh, this church of Jesus Terry's is coming will go on <clears throat> long after I'm here. And uh, it's, a, it's a very young church. And uh, it, so it's, uh, it's, it's very important because many of you are single. Many of you uh, are young couples. Many of you uh, have kids that are going to grow up someday. Uh, and you're going to be faced with them wanting to date somebody. Uh, some of you high school kids are getting your kid, your, your high school kids are getting to that point in the next uh, twenty or thirty years where they're going to want to date. And uh, I know uh, my Bob's daughter is getting married. He's got she got another one down there that won't last very much longer either. She's a darling. Yeah, that's what you think. Famous last words. My own granddaughter, Maddie. Danny will have to go through. I remember when Danny first, uh, I had a rule that if you wanted to date my daughters, you had to come out and sit down and talk to me. And I laid the line down where it was. I mean, I, I didn't pull any punches. I told him what I expected. I didn't, and I, you know, and I remember when Danny came over. I mean, Danny, you know, he, uh, he was you know, paranoid. I mean, he, you know, he was just a young kid back then. He's, he's a man now, but he was just a kid back then. And he came in there trembling, you know, and sat in my office, you know, and wanted to ask permission to date, you know, my daughter. And I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm purposely going to give him the evil eye, you know, and make it rough on him. I want him to know that uh, the, the highway patrol is on the street. I want him to get that. And, but uh, I knew he was a good kid, and he'd been probably the best guy that could ever be for Jamie. Uh, <laughs> but it's a thing where I'll never forget it. But you know what? Your day's coming, Danny, where somebody's going to come in there and, and that little Maddie girl over there, and I don't mean to embarrass your sweetheart, but uh, you've been with Grandpa long enough that you don't pay attention to me anyhow. <laughs> it's going to be a thing where you know, somebody's going to come in and ask your dad. And it's going to be just a little bit different, you see, because after he asks your dad, then you got to come talk to your grandpa. It's going to be a double hit there in this kid. But you're right there. Many of you are single. Many of you... <laughs> He is, unless you're not married, are you? No. Okay, he's single, he's single, he's single, she's single. All right, everybody is single. Run around the room so we don't embarrass anybody. It happens. It's okay. You're single. And someday you're going to find somebody you want to get married to. I get it. I understand it. It happens. But I, so I want to I wanna talk about this because I think it's very important that you understand some things. And, you know, Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God himself said it's not good for man to be alone. I mean, that's what God said. Now, I know in the Bible there's a, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a gift of celibacy. 
But, uh, you know, most people don't have that. I mean, I think in 40 years of ministry, I probably only met one or two people that actually had that gift. So it's not something you get, you know, you're 18 and you're not married yet. Oh, I'm going to be single the rest of my life. Oh, no, that's not how it works. You know, not very few people have that gift. God wants you to have somebody, and, and he said it is not good for a man to be alone. And God's plan, back in the Bible, the first, really the first plan God ever had after he created everything, this ought to make you feel good, was to get somebody from Adam that was compatible with him. So take, take hope. I mean, you, you know, I mean, when you get done naming all the animals, God will have somebody for you too. Maybe it's after you get done dating all the animals, God will have somebody for you. I don't know how that works. God gave Adam a helpmeet. Now, that's a lost concept today. Everybody thinks, well, I'm looking for a mate. No, animals have mates. God gave uh, Adam a helpmeet. And there's a big difference in understanding it. So when you choose a partner, uh, you know, for the rest of your life, that's the first criteria you look for, uh, a helpmeet, or at least it should be. And, you know, when God gave Adam uh, uh, his wife, God had already given Adam a commission. And he told Adam to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. Something that probably the only verse most of you young couples got down uh, in this church if you look at the nursery back there. I mean, you, you know, it, you got that verse down. Anyway, so he comes to the point where he was to, he was to repopulate the earth, but he needed help to do that. So God said it is not good for man to be alone because if he's going to fulfill the commission that I have given him, then I've got to give him somebody that will help him meet the demands of that commission. So he didn't give him a help mate. He gave him a help meet. And the help meet is not just to help meet the car payment or the rent or the water bill at the end of the month. The help meet is to help the both of them together fulfill that commission that God has for them. And if you're saved this morning, God has something that he's given you to do. Where he told Adam to be fruitful and populate the earth physically, he's told you and I to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth spiritually. Where Adam was to reproduce in himself because he was in God's image and he was in God's likeness, so in a physical sense he was going to produce sons of God, he lost that image. We all know that. But when you and I got born again, we now have the ability through the new birth to win people to Christ to spiritually reproduce sons of God uh, in the form of new Christians who were born again, born into the family of God. And we're called the sons of God. And so we do it in the spiritual way. And just as Adam needed a help me to do that physically, man today, women today, they need a help me to do it spiritually today. And it's, a, it's in a spiritual sense, our help need needs to help us do exactly what Adam was called to do in a physical sense, bringing people to Christ, fulfilling what God has called you to do. That's got to be the number one criteria behind everything that you look at. You got to have that in your mind. And I know it is as far from people's minds as Pluto is from the sun. I get it. But you have got to have that as the first criteria in your life when you look at somebody that is a potential person that you're going to maybe, you're going to marry. And the real question simply comes down to this. Do they help me meet what God has called me to do or do they not? It's just that simple. 
This is not something you got to go to the Greek to figure out. This is not something you got to buy 28 books on. It's very simple. God saved you for a purpose. He's called you to a task. He's given you a commission. And he wants you, because it's not good for man to be alone, he, or women either, he wants you to have a help meet to accomplish that purpose. It's just as simple as that. That's how it works. And we know, uh, we know that it takes two to make a marriage, a husband and wife. We understand that. But here's the problem with that. The Bible says that when a husband and wife get married, the two become one. Well, then the marriage is incomplete. Because if a husband and wife make up the marriage and the two become one, then you only have one person in the marriage. That's why the second person in that marriage needs to be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the two become one and they come to the point where Christ is in it, uh, the way he should be, then you have the marriage that God wants you to have. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes up the other half. And when one partner or the other or both doesn't want that, you're going to have some problems. So you need to pay attention this morning. Now, you take it a next step further. You have a husband and wife. Those two become one. You have Christ making up the second part, but we know it takes three to make a balance. So the third part then, add to it the Word of God, and now you have the exact balance that God wants you to have. The husband and wife becoming one, Christ making up the second part of the marriage, and the Word of God balancing it all out. Now, I'm just going to say, in my humble opinion, outside of salvation, the greatest decision you'll ever make that will affect you for all of eternity will be who you marry. Now, I know most of you don't think about these kind of things, and this is why I saved this to last and laid everything out that I did on a balance. But you stop and think about this. In your life, there's only two things that you join yourself to that you become one with. The first one is the day you got saved and you become one with the Lord Jesus Christ. The second one is the person you marry. And those are the only two things that you become one with in life. You get the first one right, and get the second one wrong, you're going to have some issues. And right now, we are, we are all destined, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, to marry Christ someday. He's the bridegroom, I'm the bride. We understand that. So my suggestion to you in this life is marry a person that is as close to Christ as you can. My advice to you would be not to marry the man or the woman, but my advice to you would be marry the Christ in the man or the woman. That would be my advice. For everything you do for God and all that you reward at the judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 14, will come down to that decision of who you join yourself to. When you got saved, you joined yourself to Christ, and it changed everything in your life for all of eternity. You make the wrong choice in matching up yourself and joining yourself in the second decision, it'll affect you for all of eternity. You're still saved. But brother, you got a judgment seat of Christ and you got a millennial reward that is based on you fulfilling the commission that God gave you, which is based on you getting the right help meet to fulfill that commission. Now, I said all of that. Now, let me say this. I can see the terror in some of your eyes. Many of you find yourself this morning in situations where a long time ago you got in the wrong scenario. And uh, you, you were saved and you married the wrong person. 
you never, maybe you didn't have a church to go to. Maybe you didn't listen to what was said then. I, it doesn't matter. I, I don't want to be so hard on what I'm saying, yet I want to be hard. But I don't want to give you the impression that if you have made a mistake in life and you're now married to somebody, male or female, that isn't the help meet they should be, I want you to know that it's not the end of the world. There's still, some things you, there's still something you can do in that scenario. I, I don't know of any situation that we find ourselves as Christians in that we can't do something. There isn't a process to help us through that. And I know some of you in here, some of you in here are in the exact scenario that I've talked about. You, if you had it to do over again, you would probably not marry the person that you did. I get that. I understand it. But I also want to tell you, I've seen some of you gals and some of you guys do it better than anybody else I've ever seen it. When you find yourself in that situation and you realize it, but you make up your mind, you're still going to do God's service the best you can, and you dedicate your heart to that. And that's what I'm talking about. I don't care what the scenario is. I'm giving you kids the best scenario there is. I'm laying this out for all you people who work with me in the counseling ministry who will be talking this out to people you're dealing with down the line. I'm not putting this out just so I can make somebody feel bad or make somebody uh, go hurt through struggle, something that they find themselves in this situation. That's not my point. You can always fix where you're at if you want to. There isn't a time as a Christian, no matter how bad the situation is, God can't, if you allow him, make the situation better. It comes down to us. It comes down to us. But I'm telling you, the real issue that I'm trying to get across to you is to you single guys today and gals and you people who are prospectively, you know, looking for somebody, don't get yourself into one of those circumstances to begin with. If you're single, do it right. If you're divorced and you're single, learn why you went through that. Learn what was wrong with you, what you didn't understand. Fix that and then move on in life and find you somebody this time that God will take care of you and give you a help meet. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a definitive chapter on it, but we certainly don't have time to do that this morning. And the real issue is this. Just like our relationship with Christ, most of God's people will never follow any biblical process to find a spouse. I preach my lungs out up here about you reading your Bible, falling in love with that book, serving God, getting into ministry. God gives us incredible opportunities down to restart and turn around and all of the things that we do and all of the people that we deal with. God gives us incredible opportunities, and I keep laying those things out, showing those things to you, giving you those principles, showing you how the best thing to put in your life, how to balance it all out. And it's just like out of 100 people, 20 of you will figure it out and do something with it. Everybody else just continues to do their own thing. It, it, it's the same way. You know, they, they, they never follow the safety structure in a relationship. They never do. Uh, you'll tell them what the Bible says. I have sat down and laid it out, showed them clearly what the Bible says and how the Bible lays it out. Then they go around and ask the next 50 people what they think they should do. Amen. They'll go around and ask everybody, well, I, I, what do you think about this? Well, what about that? And you just get yourself in such a confusion and you waste your time asking everybody else's opinion when at the end of the day, there's only one opinion that really matters. But you know why you do that? because you really don't want this opinion. That's why. I know how it works. 
I used to do it all the time. Still do it sometimes when I need to. I know how it works. I mean, it's exactly what happens. It seems like that in our lives, we just have to be in control. We can't give our lives over to God 100% and say, Lord, you know what? In your time, you do everything that needs to be done, and I'm just going to trust you in it, and this is what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, they'll find a spouse, honestly. I'm telling you, this is the way it is today. They find a spouse like most people go buy a car. You drive by, you see it, you like it. Then you take it for a test drive, and then you buy it. It's only later you get the sticker shock. It's only later you see how expensive it really was and what it ultimately cost you. I remember I bought my girls' first cars. It wasn't much, but I wanted to do something for them, so I took them out there, and I'll never forget taking them out to the car dealership you know, and, and, and looking around and trying to find, and I had in mind, you know, what I wanted to buy them, something, you know, economy class where they, and all those things, and I, I, I remember I bought uh, Kelly a stick shift, because I think every girl had to learn how to drive a stick shift. Who knows, you may have to drive a tractor someday, or, you know, everybody needs to drive a, learn how to drive a stick shift. And I, and I, so I, you know, and I'll never forget, I took, when I took them out there, you know, they were different ages, so I took them at different times in their life, but they both did the same thing. They looked at everything on those cars. They looked at the tires, they looked at the interior, they looked at the color, they looked at this, they looked at that. They looked at everything except the sticker on the window, how much it cost. (laughs) And that's exactly what we do in relationships. We look at everything except the sticker. What it's going to cost me. Is it a good investment or is it not? We don't look short-term nor long-term. All we see is right now in front of me, this is what I want. And because I want this, I'm not looking at the end result. And again, I say at the judgment seat of Christ, the single most damaging thing that will earn us wood, hay, and stubble is the decision of who you marry. Somebody that is a help meet or somebody that's no help at all. And I, know, and I know how it works. It's not like I'm preaching this not sympathetic this morning. Don't, I get very passionate about what I say. People think I'm yelling when, at them when I'm not. I'm just passionate about things. I'll show you yelling if you want to see it. I'm get passionate. I'm, I talk to somebody on the phone, and I feel terrible afterwards. Somebody will call me up, and they'll, they'll want to talk to me about this problem and that problem, and I wish they could just see me. You know, I'm sitting there listening to all their issues, and I'm listening to what they're saying. I'm trying to formulate and pull all the principles out, and I'm down there in my, my room down there, you know, and, I'm, and I got the phone up to my ear, or, or I got a head speaker on so I keep my hands free and do whatever I need to do, and I'm down there, and I'm, t- I'm doing this. I'm, yeah, I know. Well, I'm telling you, this is what you got to do. Well, you know what? You can say that all day long, but this is what you need to do. You know what? I'm here to help you. Sure, I love you, but you got to. And, and they take that as, well, he's mad. I'm not mad. Well, I'll show you mad. I'm passionate. I'm passionate. I mean, do you want me up here as a pastor? Okay, now. Let's look inside the Bible and see if there's anything there today. I looked yesterday and it wasn't. If you can't be passionate, hey, I, I, 
I mean, people are, well, I don't like the way he preaches. He's too loud. Oh, but I saw you at the Chiefs game. You were so hoarse the next day, you couldn't even talk. You're up there screaming and doing a goofy wave, you know, as it goes down the thing. How goofy is that? You know why you do that? Because Bob, somebody said, well, he's a fanatic. Well, you know where the word fanatic comes from? It comes from the word fan. You're a fanatic about football. I don't care about football. I like to watch it. But I am, I am passionate about the Word of God and telling people about the Lord. So I'll allow you to look like a goof at the football stadium. Allow me to be a goof this morning. Paul said, through the foolishness of preaching. So I'll be a fool for a while this morning. I'd rather be God's fool than the chief's fool. Nothing against the chiefs. But I'm telling you, I know how it works. You want somebody in your life. I get it. You get lonely. You see others. You see boyfriend and girlfriend walking down holding hands. You see them driving, you know, along the road someplace. Or you see them, or you see them at church. And you're lonely. I get it. First thing you need to do is don't ever compare yourself and where you're at where somebody else is at. You're saying, well, they're such a lovely couple. Yeah, he just threw her out of the car down the street and tried to run over. And, you know, yeah, they're a lovely couple. Yeah, they're, 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 they're smiling on their face and driving together, holding hands because they're on their way to get a divorce and they're both really happy about it. Yeah, don't compare yourself with anybody else's scenario. You don't do that as a Christian. I don't compare myself to anybody. That's only because there isn't anybody out there to compare it to, as weird as I am. But the bottom line is this. Even if there was, I don't care what somebody else does. I don't care how good they do it or how bad they do it. I'm me. And I'll never be anybody else but me. And you're you. Your situation is not unique to the other couple or the other person. Your situation is unique to you and your relationship with God. He's not doing the same thing with you that he's doing with them. But, oh, I know how it goes. You know, you get lonely, but instead of waiting and understanding why somebody might not be in your life yet, you know, uh, maybe you have some issues you got to fix. Maybe if God put you in a relationship right now, it would be a disaster because you don't understand the fundamentals, but you get in a hurry. I get it. So you take matters into your own hands, you know, and it's a disaster. Or many times I've seen them where they don't care about what God wants them to do with their life. They just do it because it's all about them. Know this. God wants you to have someone more than you do. He really does because he said in Genesis, it's not good for you to be alone. Now, while God has a plan to get you where you need to be, I can guarantee you right now, he is preparing someone somewhere for you that when you get where you need to be and they get where they need to be, then God's Holy Spirit will bring the two together. We've seen it happen. But you have to grow and build a solid relationship with him first. I told you last week, you cannot build two intimate relationships at the same time. You cannot get saved and be a young Christian and build and work hard at building a really solid, intimate relationship with Christ while you're trying to build it with another gal or another guy. You just simply cannot do that. It will not work. It will not work. But you have to grow and build a solid relationship with him first. Uh, And then he'll give you the desires of your heart. In the Bible, I told you before, you know, there's a gift of celibacy. I get that. But it's not 
very many people's gift. It's like a couple of weeks ago I talked about pastoring as a gift. Pastoring's not a job. It's not something somebody decides to do. Pastoring, from what I showed you in the Bible, is a gift. He gave gifts unto men, and it's one of those gifts was pastors. Not everybody has that gift. More people have that gift than have the gift of celibacy, I guarantee you. But not, you don't have to worry about that. And, and, and the real issue is simply that we won't let God be God in our lives. That's the real issue. And we keep trying to make it happen before God's ready for it to happen. And then we wonder why it just keeps getting disappointment after disappointment. We won't look at ourselves and be honest. We won't ID the problem. We won't isolate the problem. We certainly won't annihilate the problem. Thousand times I've seen a gal or a guy not be patient and keep uh, taking control of their lives and keep making a total mess out of it. Now, I'm going to give you the best piece of advice anybody ever gave you. If you haven't written anything else down, you want to write this down. Because this is true. Never buy a Camaro when your heart's desire is a Corvette. You know why? Nothing against Camaros. They're hot-looking cars. They're great cars. And you just say, well, I really wanted a vet, but I bought this Camaro. <clears throat> and then you say, man, I really like this. And you love it right up till you pull up to a light when the vet pulls up next to you. And you're sitting over there and have to turn the radio up because you're hearing out the window. <laughs> He's rolling over there in that 454 aluminum block engine, you know, and you're over there in that little 283, you know, putting along that thing, and, and the light changes, and boom, he's down the road there, and you're, you're, you're saying, where'd he go? You know, and he, you see that fishtail in the back and that swoop down and those big tires and those distinctive lights that only a vet can have. There isn't a guy who bought a Camaro when he really wanted a vet that didn't say afterwards, I wished I'd have waited and saved a little more, got a little more money, and got what I really wanted. Now, when it comes to relationship, don't buy a VW bus when God's got a Cadillac for you. Don't settle for a second-rate relationship over the best relationship that God will have in his own timing. You know why? Because you will never be satisfied. You'll never be satisfied. And I'm just telling you, that is the best piece of advice anybody ever gave you. Because right now, when you go off the lot, you look at that Camaro, oh, man, it's great. Oh, yeah, I'm glad I got this instead of a vet. Deep down inside, you're saying, hearing that little thing, not a vet, not a vet, not a vet, not a vet. Not a vet. You try to convince yourself that it's a vet. Well, I know what I can do. I'll go to that parts store over there and get some little stripping that says vet and put it on the side. I won't make it a vet. I'll put me big tires on it like a Corvette. Still not a Corvette. Well, I'll go do all of this stuff and I'll, com- I'll convince myself that it's as good as a vet when deep down in your heart you know it'll never be a Corvette. And you'll never be satisfied. You say, well, you know, that's good, but uh, how, does, how does all this work? How do you do that? 
Well, in finding a biblical relationship and a, and a true balance, you want to look at a series of key, key balances that just like last week and every other week, they all kind of work together. Because any relationship with any person will have to have a fundamental balance just like the relationship with Christ has to have a fundamental balance. And the first thing that you want to look at in a balance in anything, your own life and the life of somebody else that's a perspective out there, is you want to look for three things. The first thing is lordship. Do they have the Lord Jesus Christ first in their life? You see, when the number one relationship is right with Christ, then every other relationship you have will be right. We get into wrong relationships when the number one relationship isn't right. When you love God right, then you'll love each other right. That's foundational. That's where it has to start. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 8, 3, that if any man love God, the same is known of him. True love always identifies itself with the object. It always does. Lordship is unconditional love. Lordship is love in action. It starts with God first, and then it starts with the person that you're looking for as a prospective spouse. Hey, I know this is a good Valentine's Day message. See, I sweetened you up with chocolate-covered strawberries, and then I nailed you. That's how you do it. After lordship, then it's relationship. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, shows us that our relationship with Christ is, is the basis for our relationship with other people especially someone you're going to marry. Bible says husbands love the wife as Christ loved the church. The wife see that she reverence her husband unto the Lord. You see, simply treat each other the same way Christ treats you. Christ doesn't scream at you, so don't scream at your spouse. Christ doesn't cuss us out, so don't cuss out your spouse. Christ doesn't belittle you and me, so don't belittle them. Christ doesn't know what buttons to push in your life to send you over the edge, so don't look for what buttons to push in your spouse's life to send them over the edge. Just throw them over the edge. It's a lot easier. (laughs) Christ never gets angry at us. You realize that? He never gets angry at us. He has no angry for his children. He gets upset with us and he grieves over us. But you and I can't make him angry. Only an unsaved person can make him angry because anger brings about the wrath of God and you and I don't have to take the wrath of God ever. You know why? Because he poured it out on his son on the cross so he wouldn't have to pour it out on you. So why are you angry at your spouse? You know, God knows you and me better than anybody else. And if anybody, anytime, place, wherever we're up doing something or you're out someplace, if anybody had a right to come down, boy, and embarrass us in front of everybody, it'd be him. You talk about belittling. I mean, you get up and you preach your first message, you know, and you don't do a real good job, but you do the best you can. What if God came down there and said, that was the stupidest thing I ever saw in my life? <laughs> That was dumb. Why why don't you just stay back and let somebody else do it, you idiot? Would that edify you? Would that help you? Well, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Why do you do it to her? 
Bible says, wife, reverence your husband unto the Lord. Why do you do it to him? See, when lordship is right, it is the feeder system to a right relationship. And then the third one is right fellowship. Fellowship is the natural byproduct of a right lordship and a right relationship in Christ. The relationship in the marriage. And, you know, at, at, at this point, you begin to see the balance. Problems and issues now don't pull the husband and wife apart. This is what you want to look for in a spouse. You see it now before you do it. If you're ministering together, if you're working together, if you're doing things together, you get a clear rendition of what that person is, if you know what to look for. You look for lordship, you look for relationship, and you look for fellowship. Because fellowship is a natural byproduct. You know why husband and wives fight? They fight many times over differing opinions. He has one opinion, she has another. And because they're both immature and they don't know how to deal with it, they get, let it get escalated to a high level and, uh, you know, and then it, it's World War III. But you see, when you have lordship and relationship that produces the fellowship, then it's not an issue when you have a difference of opinion because your opinion becomes basically what saith the Scriptures. And that eliminates it all. I, I, I think we call it in the world, we're on the same page. Yeah, in the same verse, too. You see, the two have become one. So the lordship is together, the relationship out of the lordship, the lordship relationship, the fellowship. Singleness of mind, singleness of heart, singleness of spirit. And when that balance is right and you find a person that has got those three things down, then you're, you're, you're going the right direction. Now, the model for all of this in the Bible, and there's a model in the Bible for it, the model for all of this in the Bible is one of the most remarkable stories in all of the Bible. We've went through it many, many times. But there's people here that have never heard it, and so we'll go through it just briefly again. And it's found in Genesis chapter 24. And in Genesis chapter 24, you have what I call 19 principles on finding a spouse. They're infallible. And it's revolving around a story about getting a bride for Isaac. Now, there's four or five key players here we need to identify. First of all, in our story, I'm going to tell you real quick the story. You have Abraham, and you have Isaac. That's his boy. Then you have Eleazar. That's Abraham's eldest servant. And then you have Rebekah. She's the prospective wife for Isaac. And Abraham says to his servant, Eleazar, go find a bride for my son. And so Eleazar goes on this incredible journey through the rest of the chapter, and lo and behold, he finds Rebekah. Now Jacob, or excuse me, Isaac is a Jew, Rebekah's a Gentile. And he brings her back, and they become one, and they get married. Now, in a doctrinal sense, Abraham's a type of God the Father, Isaac's a type of Jesus Christ, Eleazar's a type of the Holy Spirit of God, and Rebekah is a type of you and me, the church. 
And it's a picture of the day you and I got saved, my salvation, how the Holy Spirit of God came after me, wooed me, talked to me, told me about the master's son, and I said, I'll go with this man to the marriage. The old past boys play a song that's my favorite. Most of you don't know why it's my favorite. I love to hear it all the time uh, because it, it strikes back on this story. And it's that song they bring when the camel train comes in. It's based on Genesis chapter 24. Now, that's the doctrinal application. Here's the practical. Abraham is still a type of God the Father. The Isaac here would be any young man here. Eleazar is still the Holy Spirit of God. Rebecca is still the prospective woman out there. And I want you to notice that when you come through here, it's the Holy Spirit of God working in your life, my life, our lives, to get you the right spouse, the right helpmeet. And in the text, there's 19 principles on finding a spouse. We've been through it many, many times. It's online. We won't go probably in one of the books back there on marriage. But, but I don't want to go through all of those, but I want to show you some of the major key ones that I think that you need to just understand today. First of all, the first thing that I get out of this when I read it is God's Holy Spirit has to be the chief player in your quest for a husband or wife. Isaac had nothing to do with it. Isaac stayed home with the father. It was the Holy Spirit of God that went out looking for that person. And while, and while, and we, and while, while God was back home preparing Isaac, he was preparing Rebekah. And at the right time, God's Holy Spirit got them both together. They didn't need eatharmony.com. They didn't need ChristiansMingleAlotSingle.com. The Holy Spirit of God waited till Isaac was ready, waited till she was ready, and then got the two of them together. Second thing I see, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, he says, uh, no unsaved person. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 makes it clear. It says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord, that's the word togetherness, hath Christ with Belial, that's the Old Testament name for the devil? Or what part hath he that believe with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? That's your body and the body of an unsaved person. For ye are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, because what I just said, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And as you come down through here, he simply says, no unsaved person for my son. And when you're looking for a prospective spouse, no unsaved person need to apply. There's no future in it. There's no value in it. Third thing that comes out of this story as I read down through it is that he's looking for Eleazar, is looking at people for a willingness. He's looking for a willingness in this woman to follow God. He's looking for the right attitude of heart about the things of God in ministry and in dealing with people. And the fourth thing that comes down through here is Eleazar, type of the Holy Spirit, he has a plan to find a bride. He's not just going out there and trying to do it on. He has a plan. Isaac stayed home. He's not even involved in it. Isaac is with the father, type of God the father, Abraham. He's doing the work with his father. The Holy Spirit of God is doing the work to find him a bride. 
and he follows that plan right through the biblical principles, and the Holy Spirit of God gets it all together. Now, the fifth thing he says here, he wants a bride for his son who is totally involved in ministry and is pure. He doesn't want some bar-hopping, social-drinking, you know, uh, non-conformed person, non-committed person who lives like the world while pretending to be a Christian. Well, always make sure that anybody you're going to plan on marrying down the line, you look at the baggage because their baggage will become your baggage. He says the sixth thing I find in here, you don't want a brand new Christian. You have, want someone who has proven themselves in ministry. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, we've talked about it all the time, says prove all things. And one of the stories in here that I think is amazing is that when he sees her, She's drawing water at the well. And she gives the guy water. She's very giving everybody. And she sees his camels. He's got camels. And she says, I'll I'll water your camels. And she gets water not only for him and everybody there, but she gets the water and she takes care of the camels. She takes care of all the details. Now, I got to tell you this. Camels are the hardest animals on the planet to deal with, except on Wednesday. They're the hardest plant animal on the planet to deal with. Think about it. Hump day, you'll get it. It, it. They're the hardest animals in the world to get to do anything. They won't eat when you want them to. They won't drink when you want them to. This woman has a way with animals. She is able to get them to drink. She works well with people. She's not a novice. And the next thing I see, the last thing I see in here, and there's plenty else to talk about, but we'll just hit the highlights. Uh, a, a, a partner or a spouse that will go God's way and not their own way. She, she has no, she, when she's confronted with that, the Bible simply says, and Rebecca went his way. One of the greatest lines in the Bible. She quit going her way and she went his way. And she went to meet her Isaac. And for me, that's one of the most beautiful pictures of my salvation and the Holy Spirit of God finding me. And someday I'm going to be married to the Lord Jesus Christ, my bridegroom, as the bride, the church. But in a practical way, those 19 principles show you exactly. If you want to have the picture-perfect concept, because it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 24 is a complete study and breakdown. One that, when followed, will save you a lot of heartache. Now, Genesis 24 and these 19 principles will boil down into a single little balance that I want to give you. These 19 principles, we can take those and compress them down into a very simple little fundamental rule follow of, of a balance. And when you look at somebody, you can take all of these things and put them into these three little outlines. Number one, you look at a prospective person and you ask yourself, is that person a really a Christian? Or are they just a Laodicean wannabe? And they're easy to spot. Without getting doctrinal technical, there's five areas of the fundamentals of my relationship with Christ or anybody's relationship with Christ. And there's five things that true salvation demands. And if you don't see them, then you start to question it. You take those five fundamental things and you bring them right over into the marriage relationship. So once you are are understanding that the person is saved, now I got to tell you, that's usually where everybody stops. They've been pounded in their head so many times. Don't marry an unsaved person. Don't marry an unsaved person. Hi, you're Darmody Hotgar. Are you saved? Yes, I am. I'll marry you. 
Boy, you're saved. I've heard them tell me, yeah, he's saved or she's saved. They were no more saved than my dogs were saved. But when you need somebody to be saved because you want to justify what you want to do, they're saved. That's short term, but oh, long term. Why? Why did I buy that Volkswagen bus with a hippie graffiti on the side and the flower child on the back, the transmission that leaked, the engine that was a mess? Well, now I see over here, look at that El Dorado. Well, back I preached a message on Ruth and Boaz, and I said, you wait for your Boaz to come in. But whatever you do, do not marry any of his cousins. Don't marry lazy as. Don't marry no job as. Don't marry stupid as. Wait for Boaz. Then the second thing you ought to look for, if we ever get to this point, I mean, everything on the internet is true, so when you go on Christian Mingle, they're all saved because everything on the internet is true. But the second thing you want to look at or you should examine, all right, they're saved, but are they involved in ministry in a New Testament church? Do they do the work of God? I told you a couple of weeks ago, you know, when you look at pastoring. If somebody is not willing to do the ministry in the church that they're in, don't even kid yourself that they're going to do it when they go out. If a person doesn't tithe in the church and be part of the ministry and do everything else, oh, I get it. You're not going to do it here, but you're going to go out and require everybody else to do what you wouldn't do when you were here. I know how it works. And I told you back then, if a guy won't do it, if, if he will not do it before you marry them, don't fall for the line that they'll do it after you marry them. Here's the three biggest lies they're going to get you. Lie number one. Oh, I'll go to church after we're married. Lie number two. Well, after we're going to gather and we're married, that's when I'll get involved. Lie number three, oh, hell yeah, yeah, he's saved, and yeah, or she's saved, and oh, they're, they're, they're really going to prove themselves after we get married. The answer to all three of those is no, no, and no. Now, most people get the first one, they get the second one, all right, they're saved, they're in ministry, oh, I'm good to go. No, you got to get a threefold in the balance. They're saved, one, they're two, they're in ministry. But here's the third one, and this is the killer. Do they minister to you? You don't need somebody in your life that's busy out there ministering to everybody else in the world but puts you on the bottom of the list. You don't need somebody out there that is running around the world doing everything for Jesus Christ and God and doing all the great stuff, but you're sitting there with your needs and they're not being met and nobody's ministering to you. 
Now the Volkswagen bus just lost the four tires in the engine. Now, in a marriage relationship, and a marriage relationship is an ongoing process of perfecting. I get it. Much like our relationship with Christ. You have to have a perfect balance. Each person in the relationship needs to understand that both a man and a woman, uh, they, uh, they, you know, they, they, they have three basic needs that form that have to be met. And that's why it's important not just for the guy to be saved. That's why it's important not for the guy just to be involved in his church or the girl, but it's important that they are ministering an ability to each other because each person in a marriage relationship has two, three basic needs. They have physical needs, they have emotional needs, and they have spiritual needs. They have physical need, time of, of beginning, being together, time set aside for just the two of you. Uh, a man gets his satisfaction from, uh, from uh, uh, you know, the success that he does in life. I mean, if you don't believe that, come and watch our softball league. Guy will knock it over the fence. <laughs> he does a great play. He walks out of there. Man, that was a great play. He plays football. Oh, I did a great thing. Great catch, man. Yeah, he gets his self-worth. Nothing wrong with that. But the problem is a man thinks that a wife gets her satisfaction the same way by things that happen in her life. She doesn't. You get yours and I get mine because of the fact that you uh, are successful in life. But a woman gets hers by simply knowing that she's the number one thing in your life. You've got to meet those physical needs. She has emotional needs. Women and men are not the same when it comes to their emotions. And if you've been married any time at all, you know that is true. <laughs> men are from Mars, women are from Venus. They don't look at things the same way, nor do they respond to things the same way. And the number one thing when a man doesn't know how to, or a woman doesn't know how to minister to their spouse, they can do the first two, but the primary one has to be to that person. Now, boy, I'll tell you what, when they don't know how to do that, it's going to cause some problems. I was at a Raytown Little League football, a little, a football game a number of years ago, um, and uh, it was like the junior varsity, and they were playing up there, and I was just sitting up there and watching them, and, and um, the, the woman and the man in front, um, their boy was playing ball. Uh, he, they had his jersey on with his name and his number on it, you know. And uh, he was a pretty good little ball player. He's the quarterback. And in one play, you know, I'm sitting there watching it, you know, and I thought to myself, when it all happened, this is textbook. This is exactly what I try to tell people. The kid got the ball, snapped the ball to him, went around this way, play broke down, went around this way. He couldn't get rid of the ball. He tried to back, he tried to run, and about four big guys just clobbered him, just buried him. And right in front of me, both of them stood up, mom and the dad. The mom stood up and said, oh, hold on, they're going to kill my boy. The dad said, that's all right, boy, give it to him. They saw the same event, the same thing, and responded two different ways. You know what? Because emotionally, they're not wired the same. The quicker you learn, you know, women have an emotional level, 1 to 10. 10 to 20. <clears throat> the quicker you find out before you're married which one that is and decide can you mantle it, the better off you are. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Just the way it is. Trying to deal with your wife's emotional needs or has emotional needs like you do your own or your buddies at work will never work. Oh, come on, brush it off. Come on. Get up and get going again. What are you crying about? Come on, suck it up. 
Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Romans 15, 1 says, Ye that are strong out to bear the infirmities of the weak. The Bible says that the wife is the weaker vessel. This is what a husband is. He's the spiritual leader. He recognizes the weakness and he covers them because he's supposed to be the strong. You don't have that? Don't get in it. Bible says in Genesis 3, 16, because of the fall that the woman's desirous to her husband. You can't meet those needs and see those things and deal with those things because she's got spiritual needs too. She has physical, emotional, and she has spiritual needs. Now, just as a pastor, I have to meet the spiritual needs of this church. The husband has to meet the spiritual needs of his wife and the wife needs the spiritual needs of her husband. And then when I do right with you guys, the church meets the spiritual need, uh, my spiritual needs by doing from the Word of God what God has called us all to do, and we all do it together and serve the Lord. And then together we fulfill God's ministry together and by fulfilling each other's spiritual needs. That's just the way it works. Absolutely no fulfilling any spiritual needs uh, outside the structure of the church. Just like there's no fulfilling of the needs outside the relationship. The husband needs to meet his wife's needs in these three areas. The wife needs to meet her husband's needs in these three areas, and you don't meet them the same way. Woman needs to have her own relationship with the Lord as a woman to Christ, and she sees and understands as their weaker vessels how she is to the Lord. The husband sees his relationship with Christ, and he sees how he is to be with Christ and his relationship, and he takes that, she takes that, models it to each other, bang, presto. You got what God intended you to have. And a failure in this balance will spell disaster. Now, fundamentally, this is why marriages, Christian marriages, fail. There may be a thousand symptoms in a relationship that they talk about, these are my problems. But I guarantee you, it'll come back and down to these three things. In marital counseling, dealing with people, you don't ever worry about all the symptoms that everybody wants to talk about. You go straight to where the problem is, and the problem will lie in one of these three things. Divorce is an easy option today. You see the similarities in Christianity. People look at their relationship with God the same way. There's no real understanding of what it takes to be a committed Christian. So a person falls in love with God today and then falls out of love with God tomorrow. Something better comes along, better deal comes along, so he drops God, drops church, and goes where he's going or where she's going. And it's the same way. I knew a lady one time that, that uh, she's about as screwed up as it could ever be, and she started out being a Christian. Then she changed from that and became a Jew. Then she changed from that and became an agnostic. Then she came, changed from that and became an atheist. And last I heard, she was a Christian again. Well, that's quite a little road to travel on. And uh, it's one of those things where you see the same things. Uh, you know, marriage is the same thing. There's no commitment. They get in when they shouldn't have got in with who they should have never got in with. And it lasts two or three years and falls apart. And then they move on to another mess right after one mess after the other. I had a lady one time years ago. She was married seven times. Now, I realized once, twice, okay. I mean, it happens. I get it. But after the second or third time, you, you start to wonder, there's some relationship issues here. After seven, I don't even know what to say. And it'll continue to go on and on and on and on, one after the other. And again, the most important decision you'll ever make after salvation 
is the day you become one with Christ. And after that is the day you become one with whoever God puts in your life or whoever you put in your life yourself. The second most important question, a decision you make, or who you're going to join yourself to when it comes down to the great commission that God has given you. Now let me close this out by saying a couple of things here and we'll be done. Whatever your situation is, wherever you find yourself today, when you want to do the right thing and you want to work through your scenario and you want to get a plan to, to make it work, then there's a way to do that. I've never known an impossible situation in a Christian's life other than what makes it impossible, that is a Christian who won't do what's right. You know, the, the road to doing right will maybe be harder than normal. It may, you know, may be some strewn with potholes. It may be a struggle. Uh, having a dead spouse, spiritually speaking, is like trying to run a mile race with a dead person on your back. I get it. I get it. But it can be done. There are ways to get done, and it ways, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to try to get the spouse saved. Uh, I've seen many people do it. Uh, it's a situation that, uh, you know, you've got to get a plan. You've got to get a biblical plan. And even though it may be hard and it may be uh, take taxing and it may take a lot of energy and a lot of strength, that's what you've got to do if you're going to do it. When a dad wants to do right and a wife doesn't, it's somewhat easier to deal with because obviously the father is the spiritual head of the home, so he has some advantage to that. Where the, where the wife wants to do right and the husband won't, then it's many times, if not most times, a much harder situation. But it can be done. The church, our structure, the support system that God has provided for us is vital in accomplishing this. And I say all that, but I go back to my original point. As for all you young kids out here that are contemplating getting married or want to get married someday, or maybe you're young and you don't even think about it now, but you will pretty quickly. The best situation for you and you single kids is don't make the mistake of a wrong relationship outside God and His infallible principles. Don't settle for a Camaro when your desire is a Corvette. Save your money. Wait it out. Make sure you get your heart's desire. Don't buy something just because you want something fast and loose that will get you where you want to go without looking at the long-term consequences of the cost involved of getting there. Now, this today will end our series on having a balance in your life. We have covered everything you need to get everything in order. Now you need to go to work on these and all of them, not just this one, and get them working in your life. Uh, they will make all the difference in everything you do and make it a lot easier in life. When I talk about living above the circumstances, when I talk about overcoming, when I talk about the victorious Christian life, I'm talking about a life without issues and pro not without issues and problems. I'm talking about a life based on the biblical principles that form a balance in your life to deal with any issue that comes into your life. You're going down on a mission tonight. I've told you this before. If you're an observant person down there, if you've been going down there for a while, as most of us have, it's no, it's no, it's no wonder, and you see it all the time, that, uh, that their favorite song, their favorite song they like to sing. They'll sing every song, but when you turn to this page and you sing it, the whole place just lights up. You know what song it is? Victory in Jesus. You know why that's their favorite song? Because so desperately that's what those men want. They want a victory in their life. Many of them have lost everything in life, lost their families. They've lost their friends. They've lost their job. They've lost anything that they ever had, many times the strongholds in their life. But they've lost everything, and they so desperately desire the victory that only comes through Jesus Christ. 
And you and I, no matter what your situation is, I don't care. I don't care. You can't be so black that God will not give you the victory. But it comes down to you and me wanting to do what the Bible says and being consistent in doing what needs to be done. And that's what it takes. It's up to us to apply it, what we get from God, and to keep it moving and keep it moving forward and keeping the balance. Not enough just to have the balance in these things. I've now shown you how to maintain the balance in these things. So we'll hold up there, and we'll have a word of prayer here, and we'll, uh, we'll be dismissed. Remember now, there's no meeting uh, for restart people today. Everybody just meet down there that was going to go out on the street at 245. We'll need your help down there. And uh, please take time to sign up for uh, all the stuff out there. It's ready to go. We need to get those things taken care of. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, these are some of the best people on the planet. And, Lord, there are so many young, young men and young ladies here that have so much to offer you. And though I stand here and see the potential, Lord, right behind me, the devil stands, and he also sees their potential. And where I try to do everything to give them the truth, to help them be everything that God wants them to be, he's going to try to put everything in their world to get them to take control of it, to lose everything that God has for them. Most of them have joined themselves to you, and they're your children. God, protect them at the second joining of their life is to somebody just like you. Help us, help me, help us as a church to build strong young men, young couples that love you, love the Word of God, that stand faithful to it, do the work of the ministry that we here might fulfill the commission that God has given us to spiritually win men and women to Christ. Help us to do it with everything that we do. Help us, Father, to train men and women to do it well. And Lord, help us to take young couples that want to get married and help to give them the best shot we can to have everything that they can be to help meet each other to fulfill the calling that you've given them. And Lord, we do thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.